So, in my job as a youth pastor, one of my favorite things and one of the favorite challenges that I have is trying to stay relevant. And, um, and it's, it's difficult because I think a lot of times um, my friends who are my age or older um, view me as like, oh yeah, you know all the cool dance moves and the trends and all the like, latest things. But then whenever I try to do those things in front of the youth, it's like, oh no, stop. Please don't do that. The, the eighth grade girls actually um, describe me as cringy. And, and it's, it's, not, it's not just cringe worthy. I'm not just worthy of cringing. They, I actually am cringed at whenever I try to do things to stay relevant. So this is my life as a youth pastor. And you guys get to experience it firsthand today. But um, so one thing that I use, one tool that I use to... Um, I wouldn't call it a tool. One thing that I use to uh, try to stay relevant to keep up with the things that are going on in students' lives is Twitter, or Instagram, or social media in general, but Twitter specifically. So I have that in common with Donald Trump. But, <laughs> but I, I, I got a Twitter account back when I was in college and didn't use it for a while. And then a couple years ago, I started volunteering in uh, Heights High School Young Life. And all of the guys that I was spending time with used Twitter consistently. And so I was like, okay, I'll get back on Twitter. And I, I don't have much to offer on Twitter. I just kind of consume on Twitter. But all the guys wanted me to follow them, and so I started following them. And, and, uh, and it was a good way to stay up to date with what's going on in their life. It was just this endless stream of information. They would just tweet out thoughts all the time, and it'd give me opportunities to talk to them about those things. Well, one day I got to work, and I was uh, sitting at my desk, and I get down, I sit down, and I open up my phone, and I open up Twitter, and I see that one of my Young Life guys had retweeted a girl, retweet, if you don't know the Twitter terminology, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not going to take time to explain it, but, so you can look it up later, retweeted, write it down, he retweeted a girl who was, uh, who was also in Young Life with us, and her tweet said this, it said, I'm just looking for someone that is faithful in the good times and bad, and then it had that emoji face, it's like the side smirk, like, so, I'm just looking for someone that is faithful in the good times and bad, emoji face, side smirk. And so, and so I read that, I was like, oh, that's pretty deep, wow, and he retweeted it, kind of a bold move. And then, no joke, a minute later, a minute later on the timeline, that's another Twitter term, on the timeline, he tweeted, attention ladies, <laughs> you want someone who is faithful? Come catch you some of this faithfulness. <laughs> Come catch you some of this faithfulness. Oh, I texted him. I was so proud. I was like, man, that's this is flirting in the 21st century. It was, I mean, he shot his shot. Nothing came out of it. But, <laughs> but her tweet, I'm just looking for someone that is faithful in the good times and bad. Well, obviously, this whole Twitter interaction was one of my favorites of all time, and it stuck with me. But... But her tweet, and not to pick apart a 17-year-old girl's tweet, but I'm going to, <laughs> but I'm just looking for someone that is faithful in the good times and bad. But doesn't the word faithful already imply that you're consistent no matter the circumstances, aka good times or bad? Doesn't it truly mean that you're firm in your allegiance to someone or something, like going beyond circumstances? You just want someone that's faithful in the good times and bad. Well, doesn't faithfulness mean that you're that way in the good times and bad? But the reality is, 
for me, in my life, um, in my sinfulness and brokenness, I fall painfully short in this area a lot of times in my faithfulness to the Lord. A lot of times when God isn't giving me what I want, I start to take things into my own hands. I try to do it on my own. And you know the old saying, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. For me, a lot of times, it's when, when the going gets tough, I start to try to change my route because I don't want to deal with the hard things. I'd rather do something different. And we start to think, okay, well, maybe this thing wasn't for us when we encounter an obstacle. Maybe I should start longing or praying or waiting for something else. But um, I find myself, when I'm in a storm of life, or even more so in a period of waiting, my faithfulness to the Lord begins to falter, and I start to question things. And I can pray and pray and pray about something, and if God seems distant and uninterested, I lose my faithfulness real quick. And I quickly become someone who isn't faithful in the good times and bad. Smirk emoji face. Um, But the reality is that there are many of us in here who are in the midst of seasons of waiting or disappointment in different aspects. You may have dreamt dreams of what your lives may look like, of what you may be at by the time you're 30, by the time you're 35, and there's some sort of detour that looks like you're not actually headed that way. And life is disappointing. And we're discouraged and disappointed because we've spent days and weeks and months and even years praying about something and crying out to the Lord for these specific things, and he's yet to answer us. For some of us, it is a job that we desire. You may be sitting in here and you may be unemployed. You're like, I've got my resume together, I've gone to countless interviews, I've been praying about it, and God hasn't provided that job for you. For some of us, it's a promotion. You've been working your tail off at work and you've been trying to earn favor in the sight of your boss, and you've been praying, Lord, I just, I, I need a pay, pay raise to get to that, uh, to be able to provide for my family, and you haven't gotten that yet. For some of us, it's a wife or a husband. You've been in a period of single, singleness, and you're waiting, and you're like, man, I am getting old, and I feel like I should be married by now. Literally everyone else is getting married except for me, and, and you, you find yourself longing for that. For some of you, it's a child. You may have been struggling for years with infertility, and you've had miscarriage after miscarriage, and you're in this season of disappointment, you're like, Lord, this is something that is good, that my heart desires, and why won't you give it to me? So for some of you, it's a good report of health for yourself or someone you love. They've been fighting a a disease for a long time, or have been struggling with something for a long time, and you just want them to be, be better. And for years, you've been praying, and they haven't gotten any better. So we start asking ourselves these questions in these times of disappointment and waiting. First one is, what have I done wrong to deserve this? A lot of times this is where my mind goes, just a confession to all of you guys. It's like I think, okay, there must have been something, there must be some sin in my life that I'm struggling with that God is trying to withhold something good for me, from me because I'm still dealing with this. And number two, where did God go? Is he even there? Because a lot of times in these moments of waiting when we're crying out to him over and over again, it doesn't feel like he's present. It feels like he's left us. And number three is, does God even care? Does he even care? Does he care about the things that my heart desires? Well, then we start to think, well, maybe I can do more things. Maybe I can do better. Then God will bless me and give me what my heart desires. But really, the days drag on and things don't change, right? And all we hear is silence. And so what we're going to talk about this morning, we're going to look at this story in Luke of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we're going to be looking at two faithful servants of God 
who spent most of their life in waiting and a lot of disappointment and a lot of hardship. We're going to see what we can learn from that. So if you'll turn to Luke chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 5. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So I'm going to stop right there real quick because Luke starts off here and, and he gives us these, this background on these two no-name people. See, Zechariah is a priest, and that means by law he is obligated to marry a virgin Israelite. And he tells us right away that Elizabeth is from the descend, she is a descendant of Aaron, who is Moses' brother, right? And she comes from this family of priests, and so her dad was a priest. And so for Zechariah, he's marrying up. To find a wife of priestly stock was considered a special blessing in that time. So they're this poster couple for righteousness. It's like a pastor marrying a pastor's daughter. It's like they are just blessed, right? That's what you would think. <laughs> but, um, and, and it tells us that they were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So it doesn't mean they were sinless, but they were certainly serving God faithfully. They were righteous in his sight, and they walked blamelessly in his commandments and statutes. So you've got to think, wow, these two people live a blessed life. And then we read verse 7, and it says, But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Man. So Luke tells us that they were old, and they were incapable of having kids. He actually uses a much nicer way of saying old. He says advanced in years. Um, I'm going to start using that. But they were old and they were incapable of having kids. And their age was an ever-present reminder of the fact that they could probably expect no change in their situation. The older they got, every year that went by, every day that went by, as their bodies started wearing down, it was looking more and more bleak that they were actually going to have this child which their heart desired. And see, being barren or unable to have kids in this time was considered a curse. And society looked at you differently if you were unable to have a kid. That there must have been something that you did that caused God to keep this blessing from you. And so Elizabeth was probably not just living in this disappointment of not being able to bear a child, but also societally she was looked down upon. She was probably treated differently because of that. Not only that, this had repercussions beyond just them getting to enjoy a child and have a family that carries on. See, kids were charged with looking after their parents in old age. And they were supposed to provide for them until they died. And without a child, it was almost a guarantee that you were going to struggle for the rest of your life and suffer more and more. So being barren was not just a curse and you weren't just looked down upon in society's eyes, but you had nothing to be hopeful for because as you got older, as your body kept decaying, you had no one that was going to look after you. So they were in the midst of a season of disappointment. But we've already heard their credentials, right? They were righteous in God's sight. They walked blamelessly in the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. So why on earth is God keeping this gift from them? For some reason, for all these years, God had Zachariah and Elizabeth in this season of waiting. And I want to make a couple points before we carry on. 
in the story, because the story just gets better, I promise. And the first point is this. God is not angry or absent in your adversity. God is not angry or absent in your adversity. He is not absent. He is not apathetic. He is not angry just because you're in a season of disappointment or waiting. See, God, our God is not a God of karma. He's not someone who just says, all right, if you do something good, then I'm going to give you something good back. If you do something bad, then you're going to get something bad back. We get this from a consumeristic view of God, that if I do something, I'll get something back in return. If I live a certain way and if I punch in the right code, then something will, will come back to me. And that's, a lot of times, we, we don't want to admit it, but that is how we think subconsciously about our relationship with God. But I've been doing all these things, and we're going to, so I'm going to get something in return. And it's a good thing. A child is a good thing. But really... God never promises, promises to keep us out of the storms of life. He actually says quite the opposite. In John 16, he says, in this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. See, he never promises to keep us out of the storms of life, but he does promise to sustain us in them. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth were living this out. They were experiencing firsthand a storm of life. They had lived years trying to have kids, and serving God faithfully. And this storm manifested itself in this hoping and waiting on something that's starting to look like it might not ever happen. And they would suffer for the rest of their lives as a result of this infertility. And it looked like it would never change. But you'll notice how they both operated in the midst of this season of waiting. Zechariah did not become bitter and quit serving the Lord. They were both seen as righteous, and they walk blamelessly in the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They serve God faithfully and they actively bound themselves to him. So point number two is this. Don't miss out on the growth that God has for you when he says wait. Sometimes the waiting is the reward. Don't miss out on the growth that God has for you when he says wait. Sometimes the waiting is the reward. So the most common word in the Old Testament that is used for the word wait in Hebrew was the word kava. And kava is spelled Q-A-V-A-H, if you want to write it down. But the literal meaning of kava is to bind together like a rope, or to bind together like a cord. See, the Hebrew was cool because they had these word pictures that helped illustrate what the word actually meant. And I'm no Hebrew scholar, as you know, I'm an engineer turned youth pastor turned gets to teach in big church twice a year. And so here I am, here I am teaching you Hebrew. Um, but the Hebrew word kava means to bind together like a rope. And so what can we learn from this definition? If the literal definition is bind together like a rope, but the figurative definition is to wait, to hope, to expect, what can we learn? Well, for me, it is often when God tells me wait in life that I find myself digging into more about his character, learning more about his promises, and finding more out about his strength than at any other time. So thank you to the Hebrew language for this soft toss of an illustration, because it is a beautiful picture of a rope is made up of many strands. And if you ever pull a rope apart and you have one little strand, you realize it'll never hold your weight. But each of those strands relies on each other to gain the strength of the rope. 
So the more strands that we weave into our relationship with God, the more we believe in his promises and learn about his character, the more strength our bond is, the more strong our bond is to him. So if you're waiting on something, it's this active action. It's like you are, you are called not to wait passively, but actively, and you are called to bond yourself to him, to bind yourself to him like a rope would. Because either you're going to bind yourself to him or you're going to bind yourself to other things. And those other things don't hold up. So God uses our waiting, our hoping, and our expecting to bind our lives to him. And he will weave this rope together that gets stronger and stronger as we seek him and as we remain faithful to him, even in your most disappointing times. I don't know what each of you in here, what your heart is longing for, but I guarantee you that if you make your relationship with the Lord a priority, he will teach you so much about, about his character and you will grow in your bond to him. And that's exactly what Zachariah and Elizabeth were doing. How, how did they remain faithful all these years when the object of their longing wasn't happening? And it's they were serving and loving the Lord in the midst of their supreme disappointment. In the absence of their supreme desire, they continued to bind themselves to him. They were faithful in the waiting, in the good times and the bad. And see, Zechariah went to serve every day and still consistently prayed for his heart's desire, right? So the question is this, what, what is God trying to teach you in the waiting? What is he teaching you about his character? What is he teaching you about yourself? Are you binding yourself to him? Because I don't want us to miss out, and I'm preaching to myself, I don't want us to miss out on the growth that God has for us whenever he, he, sa he says wait, or when something is disappointing. So we're going to keep reading in Luke. We're going to read verses 8 through 17 together and see what happens in the story next. So it says, now while he was serving as priest before God, he is Zechariah, by the way, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Wow. So the first thing we're going to look at is we realize we've already heard that Zechariah is a priest. And when we hear that, we're like, oh, a priest, wow, that was a really big honor. But really, it wasn't that big of a deal. There were 18,000 priests in Israel at this time. And they subdivided the priesthood of 18,000 into 24 divisions with 750 men each. And they'd each, each division would get to go to Jerusalem for one week, two times a year, to minister at the temple. So two weeks out of the year, your group of 750 got to go minister at the temple. And they would all come together and they would cast lots to see who got, the, do, the, got to do the big job. 
And the big job is to go in and burn incense and offer a prayer to the Lord. And that was it. And once you got to do it, you were done for life. They declared you holy and blessed, and you never got to do it again. This was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. So this was it. This was your Super Bowl. This was the World Series, Game 7. And it was the big day, right? And a lot of priests spent their whole life wanting to do this and never got the opportunity. And just to add to the whole drama of Zechariah waiting his whole life for a child, it's worth noting that he also served faithfully as a priest his whole life. We know he's old already and had never had the chance to offer prayers in the temple to burn incense. And that's got to be another thing that, I mean, not only was he longing for a child, but in his career there was this thing that he really wanted to do and was never able to. And so we're here in the biggest moment of his life. The priests are huddled up, they're casting lots, and his number's called. And I, I like to picture it like they're huddled up in a, I don't know if y'all have ever seen the movie Little Giants, but Little Giants is this 90s football movie, which was one of my favorites of all time. And I remember they're huddled up in, in this story, and, uh, and they call a play, and they're like, we're going to pitch to Johnny. And this kid's in the huddle, and he's like, you can't pitch to Johnny, I'm Johnny. And then his number was called, but it was time, and he takes it, and he takes it to the house. So that was off the cuff, by the way. You're welcome. Um, But I picture they're in this huddle, and Zachariah gets his number called, right? And it's time. So he's getting pumped up. It's time to go into the temple. And and it's the biggest moment of his life. you got to imagine his heart is pounding. He gets to go in. This, This is the peak of his career, right? And he goes in there. And he goes before the Lord and offers incense, and an angel appears. And I mean, I I love almost any time in the Gospels when an angel appears, someone gets afraid. And I picture Daniel Ernest getting scared because Daniel is the most jumpy person I know. And it is always a goal of the staff to get to scare scare Daniel. And I picture Zechariah walking in there focusing, okay, I need to pray, I need to offer the incense, I need to do this right. And then this angel pops up and it's like, oh gosh, you're not supposed to be here. And he says... In angel fashion, do not be afraid, right? And he calls him by name. He says, do not be afraid. And your prayer has been heard. For your prayer has been heard. And so, what does that mean, your prayer has been heard? What prayer are we talking about here? We know that his job as the priest was to go in and pray and burn incense. But, I mean, the following, the way the verse continues makes us think that that the prayer that has been heard is that your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. So it leads us to believe that Zechariah was in there at the altar praying for a son. But we know that the duty of the priest at that time when they went in to burn incense was to pray for the deliverance of the nation of Israel, to pray for redemption. So you've got to think that Zechariah, who we know is blameless and righteous and faithful, in his big game time moment, Super Bowl, Super, Super Bowl, that he's going to go in there and he's going to run the play that's called, right? He's not going to throw the ball on the one yard line when you have Marshawn Lynch at running back, right? <laughs> and so I like to think that, that he goes in there and he is faithful and he does his duty and he prays for the redemption of Israel. And so God, who does some of his most some of his best work in our most disappointing times. Here's Zechariah's prayer for the redemption of the nation of Israel. 
and he hears Zachariah and Elizabeth's prayers that they've been praying their whole life for a child. And he says, you know what? Those two aren't mutually exclusive. They aren't mutually exclusive. And so point number three is this. God's plan for your life is far greater than any plan you might have for your life. So simple. God's plan for your life is far greater than any plan you might have for your life. See, because Zachariah and Elizabeth just wanted a child, right? They wanted a kid so they could have the joy of having a child and so that they had someone to take care of them when they were older and to carry on the family name. But God, instead, in his sovereignty, gives them John. John the Baptist, as we know him. And, they, and the angel says, not only will this child bring you joy, but many will rejoice in his birth. And not only that, he will be great before the Lord. Oh, and not to mention, the Holy Spirit, who you haven't heard from in 400 years, is going to go live through your son. It's like, all we wanted was a kid, right? <laughs> and so, this is a huge moment for Zechariah. And God's plan for him and Elizabeth and their years of faithfulness and years of praying was far greater than anything they could have imagined. The Holy Spirit is going to go public through him again. And they were a people longing and waiting for the Lord. And the nation of Israel in general had been longing and waiting. I mean, we're celebrating Advent right now, and it's a season of waiting and expecting and hoping. And that's the season that the nation of Israel was in at this point. And then Zechariah, in his big moment, gets the news. He said, your son is going to pave the way for the Messiah. He's coming. This is something to be excited about. This is something to rejoice about. Your son will be the one that was prophesied about in Malachi. If you want to turn to Malachi chapter 4, you're welcome to. You don't have to. I'm just going to read two verses. This is Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So now I'm going to compare that to what we read at the end in verses 16 and 17. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. We know Zechariah was a priest, and so he probably knew this was the last, last thing that was said in the Old Testament, that, that this, this is Malachi the prophet speaking, and Zechariah probably knew that when the angel spoke, that those were the words from Malachi the prophet, right? And so your son is going to be the one that was prophesied about, who's going to come in the spirit of Elijah, who's going to pave the way for the Messiah. See, God's plan was far greater than anything Zechariah or Elizabeth could have ever hoped or dreamt of. But what did they do in the waiting? They served him faithfully. They went back to him over and over again. They, they were binding themselves to him like a rope, right? But he provided. He always does. So, you may be in a season of waiting or of severe disappointment. But God allows us into these seasons so that we can bind ourselves to him. And he is faithful to bring us far greater joy than anything we could have imagined had our own plans succeeded. And I know there are a lot of people in here who are struggling deeply with things right now, some of the things maybe that I mentioned. And I hope you realize that 
Israel wanted a political savior. They wanted someone who was going to come sit on the throne. That was their grand plan, right? But what they got in Jesus was salvation and eternity with God through a spiritual savior. God's plan is always greater than what we think we want. So I want to ask you, what are you hoping for? What are you waiting for? And what in life has you disappointed? In those things, we need to serve God faithfully. We need to learn from him. We need to cling to him because there is purpose in your waiting. Lamentations chapter 3 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. There are two rock properties um, that are important in oil and gas. And, well, there are more than two, but there are two that come to mind, and they're porosity and permeability. I know some of you are like, wait, what the heck? This just turned a weird direction, but bear with me. Um, there are two rock properties in oil and gas that are important, porosity and permeability. And what porosity is, is it is basically the percentage of void space in a rock. Percentage of void space in a rock. So if a rock is porous, it has void space, and, and you can have fluids in those void space, like oil and gas, like hydrocarbons. Permeability is the ability for a fluid to flow through a rock. And so a rock that is both, both porous and permeable is really effective in the extraction of oil and gas. But a rock that is porous but not permeable, I hope you're following me, <laughs> But a rock that is porous, that holds oil and gas, but doesn't allow it to flow through, is only so effective. Permeability is important. So, why am I telling you this? <laughs> so, some of y'all have probably known that Houston is an energy city, and there was an energy boom in the past 20 years because there was an advancement in technology that allowed us to basically create permeability in rocks, and it's called fracking. And what fracking does is it goes in and through high pressure and high temperature and high flow rates, it breaks up the rock that is likely a porous rock that has hydrocarbons in it, but no way for it to flow out. And it breaks up the rock so that it creates permeability so that you can fully maximize the potential of the rock and you can produce oil and gas. Without the permeability, you would never be able to produce it, right? So, all that to say, the purpose of the fracking is to maximize the potential of the rock. And in our lives, sometimes God allows these high pressure, high temperature, painful situations, these seasons of waiting and longing and disappointment so that he can allow us to maximize our potential and to experience the fullness of what he has to offer. Without the painful process and the seasons of waiting, sometimes we won't ever experience the fullness of what God has for us. I'm going to pray for us. God, thank you for this day. Thank you just for a chance to worship together and learn from your word. God, I pray that we'd be encouraged by um, two people who served you and loved you faithfully. Um, God, we're just grateful, um, even if we don't want to admit it, for these seasons of disappointment and waiting um, so that we can bind ourselves to you and know you better. Um, God, I pray that um, each person in here would learn to trust you more. And just thank you for um, giving us every day an opportunity to trust you. In your name I pray. Amen.